We wish to call your attention for a little while this evening to the Word of God as it is recorded in the chapter we read, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and the first two verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. I think it is important, beloved, to point out immediately here that our text is really a brief statement of what the Lord is speaking about in a much larger context. Let me just call your attention a moment to what he says further about the same subject. In verse 4 you read, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. And then notice, once more, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. And once more, in the verses 7 and 8, you read, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So you understand, of course, that when he says in our text, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, and every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit, that we ought to see that word of God in the light of this entire context. It might be interesting to ask the question, what actually was the occasion for the Lord referring to this figure of the vine and of the branches and how he comes to say to his disciples that he is the vine and that they are the branches. And I would point out to you that the Lord spoke this in the very night in which he was betrayed. I think that's very evident from uh, the chapters 13 through 17, if I understand them correctly. They must be understood in chronological order. And that all that is recorded here in these chapters has to do with the Lord celebrating with his disciples for the last time the Passover, at which occasion, as you, you know undoubtedly, he also instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, 
The question arises here, what was the occasion for using this figure of the vine? And of course there are all kinds of interpretations given, but I think they are all conjectures. And I think that that's what we will have to do too tonight, if we're trying to get an answer to the question, how is it that the Lord came to speak of himself as the vine and his disciples or his church as the branches? Was it perhaps because of the cup which he had used at that institution of the Lord's Supper? that reminded him of the vine with its fruit? Or was it so, perhaps, as most of the interpreters of Scripture would have it, that there happened to be a vine that was growing over the doorway of the upper room as the disciples and Jesus were going out to go to Gethsemane, that reminded him of it? or? Was it so perhaps that on the way to Gethsemane they walked through a vineyard? And of course your guess is as good as mine. There is nothing said here in this context that would warn us to say with any definiteness how the Lord came to speak of himself as the vine and his disciples or his church as the branches. Nevertheless, this expression, this word of the Lord here is of profound significance, as I hope to make very plain to you tonight. There is hidden in this figure of the vine and the branches a very solemn and important truth which we certainly ought to apprehend if we are going to appreciate at all this portion of Holy Writ. Very simple language. I'm sure that there isn't a child in this audience tonight that is not acquainted with the figure which the Lord uses of the vine and of the branches and also the fact that there is in this figure to complete it all the husbandman who does something with that vine and with the branches in order that this vine may bring forth fruit. I think every one of us that is sitting here tonight can clearly understand the figure, even our smallest children. But the text becomes more profound and probably even disconcerting when you begin to look at some of the things which the text speaks of. And I call your attention to it that he says in verse 2 of our text, every branch in me that bears not fruit, uh, he taketh away. Does that mean that there are branches that are in Christ that are lost? 
And if that is the case, does this not also contradict what you and I have always believed in the doctrine of sovereign election and in the perseverance of saints? Is it so that there are some who are in Christ that shall be lost? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Every branch in me, notice that, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And a little later you read in the same context that there are branches which are cut off from him and which are cast into the fire and are burned. That's verse 6. So you see, we are confronted here with a very serious scripture. And I would urge you to pay very close attention. And I have in mind, especially tonight, our covenant young people, with whom I am treating the subject of the church in our catechetical instruction. This stands very closely connected to the doctrine of the church, or, if you will, the doctrine of God's covenant. And so, tonight, for a little while, I'd like to call your attention to what I consider to be the main thought of this text, namely, God's vine. And to that, I'm going to address myself for a little while. God's vine. And I would have you notice with me in connection with that, first of all, what it is. What is that vine of God? In the second place, how it is, that is, how did it become such a vine? And in the third place, and there of course we get to the real heart of the matter, and that is what he does with it, what God does with that vine of his. Now, those three thoughts I'd like to delineate for a little while with you. First of all, of course, you have, as I suggested in my opening remarks, the figure of the vine and the branches and of the husbandman who takes care of that vine by trimming it, pruning it, that it may bear forth much fruit. I think that's a very simple figure which is taken from the creation of God and which Jesus here applies to himself. Now what actually is a vine? Now I'm speaking of the vine in the most literal and natural sense of the word. 
You understand, of course, that a vine is a complete organism which is composed of root, of stalk or trunk, if you please, of branches, of leaves, and of fruit that all belong to the vine. And I take it that the vine here, in the most literal sense of the word, is a great vine. A great vine. It is a living organism that is complete in all of its parts. And none of the parts have any significance uh, apart from that organism, from that whole. That ought to become very clear to us as far as the figure is concerned. And in the second place, still talking, of course, about that natural figure, what is so characteristic of such an organism is that it contains one life. There is one sap, life-giving energy that uh, goes through the whole organism, which is drawn by the roots out of the earth with all of its vitamins and nourishment and which is taken up into the uh, root and into the trunk and into the branches and leaves and the fruit. There is one predominant life principle that, that governs the whole organism of the body. I want to, before I go any farther, call your attention to the fact that this is not an isolated scripture where the Word of God speaks of such a vine. Uh, you find it in several other portions of scripture, both in the Old and in the New Testament. And it's rather significant that I call your attention for a moment uh, to those, at least two of the references to the vine, because you understand, of course, that this figure applies to the relation between Christ and his church, not only as it subsists in the new dispensation, but as it has always subsisted, because the church is as old as the world. And I call your attention to what the psalmist Asaph writes in Psalm 80. And I can begin to read with verse 8. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedar. She sent out her boughs unto the sea, and her branches unto the river, 
Why hast thou broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and visit this vine. Now this is an important scripture. You understand, of course, that what the psalmist is speaking of here in the figure is Israel. That people, that ancient people of God, whom God took out of Egypt, the house of bondage, and planted them, as it were, in the land of Canaan. And something has happened to that Israel. That vine was not bringing forth fruit. In fact, they that were around about Israel began to pluck at her, to destroy her. The boar, even out of the wood, had come to runt into that land to tear up that vine by its roots, if it were possible. And the psalmist Asaph is deeply concerned about this Israel of God. When wilt thou come, he asks, and visit this vine? That is, thy vine. When you get into the prophecy of Isaiah, and I want to call your attention also to this moment, in chapter 5 of Isaiah, you read this, and this too is very significant, I think. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, Touching his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and he gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, and I call your special attention to this address, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, the prophet here is speaking to the, especially to the tribe of Judah, where this wine of God should have flourished the most. Judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? And now go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down and I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it, 
for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, and notice this, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant friend. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression for righteousness, and behold a cry. This will suffice uh, to show that the word of God speaks of this, of the church, of the people of God, in the figure of vine and the branches, as they are related to Christ. And it goes to show, also in these passages to which I referred, that the vine and the vineyard is the church of Christ as it is, pleases God to gather her organically throughout the ages. We must never have the conception that the church is purely a New Testament entity, which began with the day of Pentecost. That's premillennialism. We must understand that the church historically had its beginning already in paradise. And that the vine was there all through the old dispensation. And it appears that Often that vine is worthless, useless, as in these two instances to which I called your attention, there was no fruit on this vine. It did not produce. And consequently, it was worthy, apparently, to be trodden underfoot and to be destroyed forever. Now what is so Noticeable is that out of that vine, which God had planted already at the very dawn of history, which in history throughout the old dispensation appeared to be worthless, to have come to its end, this same prophet Isaiah tells us that out of a dry ground springs forth a root. And that root is Christ. He is the vine. That's how he came to say this too in our text. I am that vine. I am that vine. I am the representative of that vine. And God planted it at the very dawn of history. As he transplanted it, when he took it out of Egypt, the house of bondage, and put it into the land of Canaan, where for a time it flourished, and its boughs spread abroad unto the sea and unto the river, where it was laden with fruitful boughs. But in time became fruitless. Apparently dead. In other words, Israel. Israel could not 
produce the vine. But God produces it, and God preserves it so that when Christ is born as a babe in Bethlehem, he is as a shoot that is rising up out of the dry ground, out of that church of the old dispensation, the only part of that church that is left. And that vine that is Christ must flourish. It must grow. It must expand. It must become fruitful. And so, historically and organically, there are given unto this vine branches. If you can understand it, <clears throat> then you won't have any problem with the idea that there are branches here which are taken away. But you understand, of course, that God and I will have occasion to call your attention to this more specifically in a moment, God determines upon the vine, and the vine with its branches, which must historically grow and develop and spread out, as it were, into all nations, tribes, and tongues, where he is going to gather his people who are fruitful, that on that same organism there are those branches that never bear fruit. You have that, of course. I remember once when I was in my second charge, minister of the erstwhile Roosevelt Park Church, and our parsonage was on Leesma Street, and on our side of our front porch, we had uh, rose bushes growing, which we called Seven Sisters. They were climbing rose. One day, for want of something better to do, I went out there with the snippers and began to cut out the dead wood on this vine. And a member of my church, an elderly man, who evidently was adept at trimming vines, came along and he started the conversation and while I was trimming this vine, and I noticed every once in a while he smiled a little bit, as much as to say, what a botch you're making of that trimming that vine. And finally he gathered up enough nerve to tell me that I didn't know what I was doing. And as it proved, of course I didn't. 
And he says, give me that uh, clippers. And he went to work on that vine. I tell you, when he got through, I thought that was the end of my seven sisters. There wouldn't be any more flowers growing on that thing. He cut it way down to there was hardly anything left. Even the green growing branches. And I said to him, you've destroyed this vine. He says, no, no, you just wait and see. And I waited patiently, but I saw that vine grew more roses and more beautiful roses than I had ever seen on it before. You see, I didn't know very much about trimming, the trimming process. And that's precisely what happens here to this vine. God is the husbandman. He is the husbandman who plants this vine. A vine which he has chosen and which he also determines shall be realized historically in the line of generations of the believers and their sheep and in which it shall come to realization through the way of sin and grace. And this is precisely what God has ordained for the church so long as that church resides in the world. She's an organist that comes up out of the generations of the believers. And as you know, believers always bring forth a twofold seed. That's very clearly demonstrated, you know, in Scripture. And all I have to do is call your attention to. Isaac and Rebekah, who brought forth Jacob and Esau. These were branches on this tree, on this vine. Branches on the vine. Esau was on the vine too. This is what always happens. In the historical development of God's covenant, there are branches that grow on this vine, and they're connected organically, to Christ. Historically, they belong to Christ. They have the name of Christ stamped on their forehead. That's what happens here at this baptismal form. That distinguishes that from all the world, even if they are reprobate. They're distinguished branches. Consequently, also in this vine of God, which he plants and which develops historically, there are also those branches that are what we call suckers. They look like they're living. 
Probably they look more like they're living than other branches that bring forth grapes. But they never bring forth grapes. They simply draw out of the life of the vine. And if you want to keep that vine and make it grow and develop and bring forth fruit abundantly, then those suckers have to be cut off. I had to learn that too the hard way one time with tomato. Tomatoes are adept at bringing forth a lot of suckers. If you want to have tomatoes, you better cut off those suckers. I found that out. But you know, you want to keep that all going because it's nice and green, and you make a big bush, you know, and you say, oh, what beautiful, beautiful tomato plant. Isn't that beautiful about it? They must be cut off if you want tomatoes, if you want fruit. And that same thing obtains here with respect to the church of Jesus Christ as she is realized historically, organically, in the line of generations. There are branches that grow on this vine that never produce while they are connected to the vine. Now, of course, if we're not careful here, we're going to make the mistake that they are also in Christ. And that they are partakers of the life of Christ. In the spiritual sense of the word. And that, of course, would be a serious error. <clears throat> but there is a way, there is a manner in which we may say that they do partake of the things that are of Christ. I think that's what the Apostle to the Hebrews is writing about in chapter 6. And of course we always have to explain the scriptures with the scriptures, you know. You must understand that. When you are in chapter 6 of the Hebrews, then you have this. <coughs> Uh, and this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and have put him to an open shade. Notice, they have tasted of the good word of God. They were once enlightened, and they have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That cannot possibly mean in the sense of regeneration, but in the sense that they were uh, in the church and probably office bearers in the church who were given the spirit of the office to serve in the church of Christ. They had a very prominent place in the church of Christ as she comes to manifestation organically and historically in the world. 
and tasted the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come, so that they said, My, isn't that nice that we can go to heaven by and by? It's much better to go to heaven than to hell. That's what they said. That's what they believed. That's what they concluded. And the apostle says, if they shall fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, seeing they have crucified unto themselves the Son of God afresh. There's no hope for that. These are the branches on the vine that are cut away and destroyed, though they may appear to have been living branches. The apostle to the Hebrews goes on to explain how that this is possible. When he says in verses 7 and 8, For the earth which drinketh in the rain which cometh off upon it, bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiving blessing of God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So there is a twofold process going on in the church as she comes to historical manifestation. There is a pruning process whereby God trims those fruit-bearing branches that they bring forth more fruit, like that man in my church trimmed my rose bush and trimmed it so severely that it brought forth more roses than I could ever imagine could have grown on this bush. God does that. He does that with his wine. His wine, of course, is by his ordination. He decreed it. He determined it. Not only in select branches, but also in its reprobate branches. And he determined it so that that reprobate would serve also to make up the vine as it comes to historical manifestation. The reprobate have a service to perform. They, they have to make that vine to appear as vine. They serve God, though they are fruitless and do not bear any positive spiritual fruit. They have a service to perform. That's by determination of God, too. You mustn't forget, you know, reprobation is of God just as well as election. God determines who are reprobate as well as who are elect. He determines who shall be fruit-bearing branches, as well as branches which are only shepherds. He determines that. It's his vine! It's his vine, which he pleases to grow and to flourish and to bring forth as he pleases it, 
historically in the line of succeeding generations. And the purpose of that line, as is the purpose of all things, is the glory of God. He has made all things for his glory. My little children in the youngest catechism class had to learn that just recently. Why did God create all things? And the answer is, for his glory. He made all things for his glory. That's true of his mind too. That vine also with the branches that must be cut off, as well as the branches which he will throw and which he will make to bring forth much fruit. That's why I said in my theme tonight, God's vine. God's vine. Now what does he do with it? Now, there is always the process of pruning the good branches. And that pruning process is sometimes severe. God does that, as you have heard in the last two Sunday mornings, first of all through the preaching of his word. That word is always cutting off from us that which is not useful and helpful to bring forth hope. It condemns the old man of sin. Corrupt nature. So much so that you begin to mortify it. You cut it off. You say, I won't have anything to do with it. It stands in my way. I must put on a new man. I must bring forth proof on the righteous. That's what happens under the preaching of God's Word. It is a pruning process. As that word is applied to the heart of God's people through his spirit. It's also done through the way of Christian discipline. I talked about that this morning. Christian discipline is always the divine purpose of saving God's people. First of all, not simply to excommunicate and send people to hell. That's not the purpose of Christian discipline. I wish we could all understand that. When God, through his church, exercises the keys of the kingdom of Christian discipline, that is not to send people to hell, but to save them, to bring them to repentance, to get them to get off that old man, and to put on the new man that brings forth fruit that is good fruit. That's how God does it. 
And then sometimes he leads his people through deep ways. I wish you would think of that too when he leads you through deep ways as he's leading some of you right now in my congregation. You know, we think about these things as accidental. You say, well, I must have eaten or drunk something that wasn't right. I got alkaline in my system. I got it in my gallbladder. That's how I got gallstones. Kidney stones. And now, of course, they began to give me a lot of pain, so I better have my gallbladder out. That's the way we talk about it. The accidental, you know. Don't you ever believe it? It's not accidental. When you have to go to the hospital and you have to have an operation, that is a pruning process. God is pruning his wife. He is. And all that can hurt. That can hurt. Sometimes so that you scream with pain. He knows how to do that. But don't forget, this is a loving process. My father is the husbandman, Jesus said. And my father is also my father, not only Jesus' father, but my father for Jesus' sake. My father who loves me and who wants me to become perfect as he is perfect. Who wants me to bring forth much fruit. My father is the husbandman and it is he who sticks the knife into me by time. To prove me to get rid of my proud and sinful, rotten nature. My independency. And I think we're getting that way more and more. And I, it almost comes natural, you know, because everything works together to make that possible, you know. You, you don't have to be dependent on God anymore. When you get to be a little bit old, you retire, and then the world takes care of you. With its social security and its uh, Medicaid and Medicare and all of that stuff. You don't have to worry. You're going to be well taken care of. You get sick, they put you in the hospital, and you don't have to pay any of it. All be taken care of. Then you don't need God anymore, don't you see? You don't need them. You're not dependent on them. And that's what we're being taught nowadays. We're being trained to live apart from God. And I want to point out to you tonight, and I'm speaking now to the believing, living, proclaimed Church of Christ. God knows how to prune His vine that you bring forth much fruit. That is law. In the care of his barn, he also cuts off those suckers. He takes care of them. He takes care of them in such a way that they must learn through this experience of cutting off 
that they have no part with Christ. They are none of His. And that's what you have to hear also in the preaching of the Word. They tell me, you know, that's none of our business. All you do is preach the gospel. Well, I want to tell you something. This is the gospel that God has loved and chosen His church and that the reprobates are appointed of God through the service of that church until God is finished with them as the scaffolding on a building that they may be destroyed forever through the way of their sin. That's the gospel. And you must hear it. That seed of the covenant, those who are Esau's in the covenant of God, as it is realized out in history, from generation to generation, you must hear it, that God will cut off those branches and destroy them forever. That bear not fruit to the praise and the glory of God, the God of our salvation. And this pruning process by our husbandmen is going on all the time until finally, as we said in our prayer a little while ago, we shall see only that which is left, the fruitful, glorious body. Christ and his people in clothing of white, of righteousness, where they shall abide in everlasting glory unto the glory of God forever. That's the meaning of my text. I am the vine. My father is the husband. Every branch that is in me that beareth not fruit, that is in me historic, organic, the line of generation that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that is in me that beareth fruit, he purchased it, that it may bring forth more fruit unto the praise of the glory of his grace. Now why did Jesus say that to his disciples? And why does he say that to us? And mind you, he says that, as I said in my introductory remarks, the very night that he was betrayed, the very next day he would be brought to the cross and crucified for our sins. Beloved, in these closing moments of his earthly sojourn, he had deeply in mind his church, whom he loved, and whom he would redeem. 
through his precious blood, for whom he would die in order that they might live. That church, which has been realized throughout the ages, which at many times appeared to be dead, totally dead and worthless, but which God keeps alive and which he brings out of that dead church historically, the living vine, the Christ, and in him the branches that shall bring forth fruit unto righteousness, unto the glory of the God of our salvation. This is our covenant conception. God's covenant realized in the line of succeeding generations of the believers and their seed, who under the merciful operations of the Spirit of God is kept, preserved, corrected, glorified. To that church we say in our confessions, I belong. Of it I am a living member, and so it shall always be. Is that what you say? Then you will be a fruitful vine, bringing forth much fruit. Amen. Sanctify thy word, O Lord, unto our hearts. Give us grace to understand it and to believe it and to live from it. And understand also thy way with us that thou art our husbandman, who has great delight in his wife, that it produce much fruit. So shall we be thy disciples. For Jesus' sake. Amen.